Well, folks, welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast brought to you by Legendary Gear. To our second half of our interview with Dr. Douglas Osborne, Associate Professor and Biologist at the University of Arkansas. Why don't you give me a, just a little bit uh, to our viewers of what, what's kind of on your plate as you see the, for the throughout the hunting season with your travels. You know, I know that you're a huge, huge duck hunter, and that's why, you know, you're good at what you do. You love you love the sport of what you do, but uh, kind of what's on your plan. And, and I know that you're always got programs and you got things you're, you're working with other people and you're mm -hmm. working, you know, the workshop that you and your wife put on, which is a, you know an awesome and very cool thing. So just kind of in a quick synopsis that what you got on your plate here. In yeah. The next yeah, man, I, I do want to thank you all for, for sponsoring that and providing those duck calls and, and uh, that program that she does with the 4-H kids in the state here. We unfortunately just had to cap the, cap the, the number of participants in it. And uh, the registration filled up in like a week. Wow. And it's just such a, a high demand uh, program and it's it's called the wonders of waterfowl and you can look it up on youtube there wonders of waterfowl university of arkansas and, and it comes right up but uh you'll see the kids i think i may have shared a video with you there uh but you can see the kids at the oh, end yeah. blowing on the calls that you sent that one little kid was ripping it man i thought he smokes a little kid i mean he's like you know two and a half foot tall and he's just ripping on this call and it was just really cool to see and so thank you all for your support on that deal and tiffany puts a lot my wife tiffany puts a lot of effort into that program a lot of effort yeah a lot of time and it's and it's but you know you reap what you sow and, yeah, and, yeah. Time, and like you said you know the, you know you're filling up your registration so that the, the need is there yeah you know, and, yeah. and you guys are, are that's awesome yeah. um but, what is what is uh ryan working on yeah, we, we got a lot. We do. We got a lot. Our lab's got a lot going on. We got our hands in lots of, you know, a lot of different things. But uh, Ryan Ashton was a master student of mine. Uh, then he went to Illinois, got a Ph.D. and come back. And we hired him uh, to work on this Five Oaks Ag Research and Education Program. It's an it's a nonprofit public private partnership with a with a successful hunting club in Arkansas. And uh, they originally hired me to sort of help kind of steer some of that stuff there. But I just, you know, my lab is already, we're at 110 capacity, 100% capacity without that extra program. And so I, I hired Ryan as my right-hand man, Ryan Ashburn. And now he is, George uh, Dunklin has hired him as the director. So he's the on-site research director up there. So he lives in Stuttgart. Him and his wife just moved to Stuttgart. And they and they work out of Five Oaks, and he handles all that. And then I handle the sort of the academic part of that that happens on on the campus, the the relationship with the university. So we have five students in here, and and the idea is that we're bringing these students with an undergrad degree from Michigan State, Mississippi State, University of Florida. I mean, they're coming from big time schools, Wisconsin Stevens Point. Uh, we bring them in after they get a bachelor's degree, and they live on the farm. And we, they're managing wetlands, they're managing, they're moving water on the landscape, they're surveying, we're, we're evaluating them with soil fields, are we getting a plant community responding to these fields that we want? And so these kids live on the land and we're training the next generation of land managers with that program. So Ryan's on site managing that out of Stuttgart. I'm glad we still got him in the state. He's an awesome, oh, a great kid. awesome he, character and super yeah. smart individual. So but we got a lot of projects, a lot of transmitter stuff going on, transmitters on some 
some refuges. We've just finished a big study on White River Refuge, looking at sanctuaries and how different sanctuary types and how birds are responding, you know, to sanctuaries that are completely closed to everything versus some that the the deer hunters can hunt around or the bird watchers can go and how birds are responding to those sorts of things. Looking at the timing, if we close hunting at noon, do the birds go flying into the into the into the hunt area at 1205 and that kind of thing? You know, that happens in Illinois and your part of the world and up there in Iowa. You, I mean, clockwork, but yeah. it does not happen down here like that. And it's interesting. And maybe it's just that accumulation of pressure hunting pressure all the way to the end of the you know end of the five months that we're shooting at these birds and so pressure is a big deal and it really impacts birds behavior down here so we got a new project starting we started a new project last year we put out uh probably about 50 transmitters and 200 of these little geolocators these little yellow bands i might got one on my desk here i'm like um, but no, I guess not. But uh, we marked uh, about, let's see, 300 birds or so, or 250 or so birds in Missouri, uh, and then a couple hundred down here as well. We're trying different attachment types of transmitters. So we got these, uh, these are implants. These are surgically implanted into the abdominal cavity of the bird, and this wire sticks out. So if you see, if you get one, if you're lucky enough to harvest one of these, don't eat that thing, right? <laughs> um, but but what? But our idea is that these backpacks may be impacting their their aerodynamics, and so we're trying to make We're trying to make management recommendations about how bird behaviors, and and trying to influence policy. But we're putting these things on it probably have some sort of negative impact on their aerodynamics. Sure. But we're trying to find the best method to mark birds that we can, tr you know, track them to understand what we need to in terms of science with the least amount of impact. So that, that study will go on one more year. And so that's gotta be an expensive, uh, the, the implant into the abdominal, that's gotta be a costly, uh, it's, research. It, man, I tell you, we, the, the devices are about $1,500 a piece, but the veterinarians, you know, are working with Arkansas game and fish and the Missouri department of conservation, and they have vets on staff. And those and those veterinarians are all in, man. They've they've they're doing the implants for us and partners with us on this deal. So it's been a great, it's been a great study. I mean, partner with Bass Pro Shop folks, the Osage Basin Wetland Symposium Group, and now uh, does that have a what, what what's the word I'm looking for? Mortification signal, like if 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 it's based on body temperature. So if that bird gets killed by an eagle or a yeah. coyote or a bobcat gets it there's a what's the word i'm looking for when yeah, what's that called? yeah yeah kind of a mortality sensor or whatever yeah. there's uh and so the yeah these things are really sort of neat now too they have uh they're like a fitbit okay and so if it's tipped this way it'll have an xyz coordinates of whatever if it's tipped this way it'll have an xyz coordinates of and so but if it sits still it recognizes that that's cool. The coordinates hadn't moved and all that, and it gives us the detection. And so we can, I mean, these things are so awesome. I can plug them in. I can get online right now and see where the ones that are still active are and, and all that. And they 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 really send almost real-time data. Hmm, that's pretty cool. Very neat. So there's a lot of transmitter studies going on right now, um, you know, across various, multiple states, uh, really trying to get it the best best practices that we should be doing as scientists for you know for the best 
ethics of the bird and and safety and all that kind of thing. We're and we're also getting data that we you know that we trust, and it, it's not biased for whatever reason. I'm gonna put this as a crazy question, but I'm gonna put this out there because it's how my brain works. But you know, how does like a war, like a Ukraine? You know, you sit there and, and there, it's a lot of countryside and I'm sure there's a duck population, you know, as Russia has their kind of different type of goose and stuff like that. Uh, have you ever been in, in any contact with any biologists from other countries asking for help or asking for, you know, anything going on? I would, you got to imagine a war would freaking totally, mm. especially bombing the ecosystem, you know, would totally mess up, you know, especially when you're looking at waterfowl and stuff yeah. like that. Is there I mean, ever talk of anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really got any of that yet, but I mean, I mean, you know, our country, we're so much more advanced in our in our in our policy and our regulations and our, you know, and how we how we guide our hunting and our migratory birds and all that. I mean, so many of these other countries are so much more behind. I mean, I've been in talks with some folks uh, recently about trying to get involved in some work down in Argentina. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just you know, there's not a lot of regulation. There's uh, there's a lot of waterfowl, a lot of hunters starting to go down there. So, I mean, it's just not a real good understanding of, of the population size of some of these birds that we're harvesting. And are we harvesting them at a sort of sustainable population? That's what we want. We all want to make sure that we're sustaining these populations for our kids and grandkids. So, I mean, you know, with with this popular the popularity of waterfowl and hunting and stuff like that, and down in Argentina, you know, I've been in talks with some folks trying to to figure out how to, you know, basically secure some funding to to start to to understand some of the things that are going on down there and and just help you know on the regulatory side. You know what? That's a great. You just brought up a great point when it clicking in my head again. I mean, when you're thinking about, you know, we think about the harvest rate of of waterfowl, but it, it's not just the United States that it, you know. So you brought up a great point because I I've guided through the years and, and so many of the you know it's more of the wealthier people that's the reason they go to Argentina. It's because of the lucrative, uh, you know. I remember one time I was guiding these surgeons from Michigan. They're from Detroit. And they were probably the most unethical people, but because they were very wealthy I, that morning, they were talking about, uh, I remember they were looking at my shotgun and said, oh man, we were been, uh, if you were in Argentina, your gun would blow up. And, and what do you mean? And, oh man, they go down there, they, they shot like 30,000 doves and they shot over 6,000 geese. And I'm looking, I'm going, and I can't comprehend this. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know. And how do you know it? Well, you got this little boy with a clicker, you know, the people that are clicking and stuff. So, you know, it, 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 that has got to be, like you said, now, and, and the people that's going over there, you got to include that harvest unless it's a local. Now, if it's a local isolated population, I understand mm-hmm. that. But when you take Mexico and they're shooting red, you know, uh, redheads and, and, and stuff like that, you know, yeah. that's got to be taken a toll on some of the because uh, i'm sure they probably kill if you look in mexico probably kill more than what the whole people in the united states kill in, in a legal bag limit mm. you know yeah yeah possible so i mean that you know that's where the north american treaty act or the north american waterfowl management plan and all that stuff is north american for a purpose i mean these birds are you know, we're harvesting birds in Arkansas that are growing up in Canada and people in Mexico are shooting birds that are 
hatched in Arkansas or in, uh, excuse me, in the U.S. and in Canada. And so, I mean, it, we're managing a continental population of birds here. We're not just managing, it's just not a local, you know, local populations. And even the interactions between flyways, they're not, it's not this flyway versus this one, but it's this one. I mean, think about the prairies, how it overlaps the, the central. I mean, that's really that mid-continent population. There's so much crossover in the terms, you know, in terms of the birds that are sort of hatched in that Canadian prairies and they kind of cross over both flyways there. So, I mean, we really are managing continental populations, not just, you know, not just our birds or, or whatever that, that might be. So getting, getting Mexico on, on board with all this was, was definitely a little bit more difficult than, than working with the Canadians back then when they, you know, oh, absolutely on that. But, uh, but I think they make progress. It's a slow, it's slow transition, but, um, but yeah, it's, well, let's talk about what what would stand. It's on the wall behind you, which is it, I'm telling you, um, in the contest and, and in the calls that we sell, we, the huge growing popularity in in white fronted geese or the speckled belly. And that's a question: Why is it called a white fronted goose when the Canada has a white belly, and then they go from a white fronted goose to speckled? How did how did that termina terminology? Yeah, it, it's a white front. Oh, gotcha. It's the white front. It's right there on the bill. That's the white front that they're okay. referring to. Yeah. I got that. No, All right. Well, you know, good. there's. I'm telling you, Doug, there's such a huge, uh, when I'm doing shows now, uh, of, of selling so many uh, speckle belly calls. And I remember a couple of years, uh, Diane and I were down at the NWTF, and, and that was actually our first really big show, Legendary Gear, down there, and, and had a couple of the big uh, calling guys in the turkey industry mm -hmm. with me. And we actually, my buddy looked at me and, and of course it's packed down there. If you've ever been down there and, and uh, he says, Hey, start hitting that spec call. I'm so like, what are you talking about, man? We're, we're at the NWTF. <laughs> I hit that spec call and we sold out of spec calls in two hours and we sold more waterfowl calls than we did Turkey call mm -hmm. having two of the best Turkey you know, guys in the industry, but that, you know, Turkey hunting's big, but that love, of you know, yeah. but speckle belly craze is really gained a lot of popularity. Yeah, is that, I mean, is that you're starting to see them in more states that we never, you know, ten years ago saw them. That's absolutely exactly the case. Is the opportunities there now for folks, right? I mean, historically, we just we just published a really neat article in the Journal of Wildlife Management, scientific journal, uh, about the shift in their distribution. I mean, white fronts historically wintered on coastal Texas and Louisiana. I mean, they lived in those freshwater marshes, right? Uh, they they were they were digging root tubers out of those marshes, uh, and so and then they'd go into those rice fields to get hot foods and grains when they needed that extra, you know, lipid and fat reserves. And so, you know, but we're losing coastal marsh quicker than we're about anything else in this world, right? I mean, coastal marsh is really being in decline. I mean, why is that? And while we're losing the coast in general, just eroding of the, of the coast away and various changes in hydrologic things, but but also development, you know, around that Galveston Bay, Houston area down in there, where's that stronghold of, of white fronts used to be, you know, the development, urban development in there, expanding, losing ag ground, losing marsh ground, you know, and a lot of those coastal marshes that used to be freshwater that had the plants that those geese were eating, has been inundated with salt because of more extreme storm events and that kind of thing. So the salt water got in there 
and it changed the plant community. It killed the plants and the tubers that those birds were really going after. And it's changed that plant community. And so, I mean, changing habitat conditions and, 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 and honestly, uh, the warming of the, of the Arctic has provided better nesting conditions over a certain period of time. There's some really good reproduction going on up there because birds are going back healthier because they started shifting in the Mississippi Alluvial Valley eating rice. Right. So at that time, these birds, the population's growing and they had to expand because there wasn't enough marsh for them down in coastal Texas. They expanded into the valley uh populations were doing good reproduction was good on the on on the arctic and uh you know we just had a pretty good increase in the population overall and at some point we've seen a pretty significant shift into the you know mississippi Luva valley the delta region arkansas and even here i mean i mean these the geese will show up in september and they'll, they'll eat these fields of rice out in no time no time they, and they got to keep moving right i mean they and so it's it's provided a lot more opportunity. That's sort of my science story behind the white front. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, but but it's provided a lot more opportunity. There's tons of people harvesting white fronts in Indiana now, right? Here, guys. Uh, all over. There's lots of opportunities yeah. now that, that didn't exist at one point. So I bet you in Iowa last year, just because we're at, in the fall, I saw almost as much white front as I saw Canada's and in the spring when the migration that they really pile in here and of course our we were right here on the roost and it'll be you know an hour before daylight or hour before dark and and then an hour after dark they're still flying over the house and it'll be speckable mm -hmm. there'll be some snows mixed in but I mean the the the, the mount of speckle bellies but you know I see different sizes and different kinds of them and you know everybody wants that big full plumage of the speckle but how many so species of speckle bellies is there or is there different subspecies of them like the canada uh, yeah there's the tollies sort of white front that's out in the california area uh you know there's the mid-continent sort of population it's still sort of the same so i'd say i'd say here we got the you know the greater white front we got the tollies really um I, I mean i really think that's probably probably it for north america i mean i know what the, the guys that we had some, we used to see these real small ones. And my buddy down in Louisiana, he'd always call them the chicken specks, little chicken specks. Mm. And they, but they were tiny. I don't know if it was just a, a bunch of the graders that were just immature that hung together, you know, just different, mm. but there, there'd be tons of them. And then one thing we'll talk real quick and the last thing that uh, usually doesn't get talked to, especially this time of year. But I know with the conservation seasons and, and that we've tried to do on the on the snow geese and, and trying to control that, you know, with the fall coming, uh, how does you know we we talked about the 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 the, uh, the, the drought and how it affects the the ducks and the Canada geese and stuff like that. Um, but what kind of effect is that making on the large amount of mass of snow geese? And are we controlling that? Have you seen? Have we seen a decline? You know what's going on with the snow geese? Yeah, the snow goose populations are definitely have been in decline for a few years. Numbers are 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 definitely going down. There's been some not so great hatches. I mean, you think about where these geese are nesting on the tundra. Yeah. They literally got to get there and lay an egg the day they show up, right? I mean, they just have to. I mean, they they need to, they a lot of times they get up there when there's still snow on the ground or the tundra's still frozen, but the duration in which they got to incubate their eggs 
they got to get those goslings big enough to be able to fly out of there before the snow comes again. They they literally show up on and 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 ink and lay their eggs immediately. And so these animals reproduce in big, huge colonies. There may be a thousand nests all within a short distance. And you can walk, you know, you they're basically neck length away from each other. I mean, they're really pretty close. I mean, that's their safety. You've been up there and seen this? That's their safety in numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, the, the nests are close enough where they just enough to peck each other to keep, you know, the other female or whatever away from them. I mean, there may be thousands of birds or, you know, smaller bunches of group birds nesting in these sort of these colonies. Right. And the, and the idea is that safety in numbers, that fox, that Arctic fox is going to run around the outside and pick off a few. But the safety of that of that colony overall in the middle is, is pretty good unless the polar bear gets in there, which is which I've been seeing, you know, some increase in uh, destruction from bears, of course, and the bear will kill the whole colony off, you know, or all the eggs anyway. No, it won't be any hatch. But but really what we see is their their hatch is, is synchronous. They all hatch within pretty much a day of each other or a couple days. Right. And so if we get cold rain in the wind in the wind conditions up there, I was up there in July and it literally it went it went from, you know, 62 degrees on the day that I was in the tundra and two days later the wind was ripping at 40 mile an hour and it dropped down to the you know the 30s and it it blew for three days we were stuck in the hut we couldn't go we couldn't get the chopper off the ground or anything so I mean they this synchronous hatch is really dependent on weather so if you get a cold windy rain right when that hatch happens it's killing all those goslings off and so they it's really a real good hatch typically or not nothing at all and so that's we've been seeing more fluctuations in that you know in that basically in a reproduction across uh across the breeding grounds in the last few years and so they you know they got they could be a detrimental you know uh weather can be real detrimental on their populations but overall they are going down i mean and now we've been seeing you know last year we've seen you know, the avian influenza got to them, right? And and so this some of this high path AI stuff's got them. And there was a there was a lot of geese that were impacted by, you know, by that. And so it's a lot of this is, you know, is driven by carrying capacity stuff. So higher populations get, of course, better, you know, the more prevalence of disease and those kind of things Absolutely. can happen. And so yeah. I mean, the geese overall in the last five years have taken a pretty good hit and the and the numbers are certainly coming down on snows. You know, it's it just goes to show you. I listen to everything we're talking about to the to you know how good a hunting we're going to have, but nature plays the biggest role. We contribute, but we're actually we're really small. We we we're data keepers, is what the human man is. But we really we come down to the fate of of the Almighty and weather. That's and right. You know, That's absolutely right. Yeah. And and you talk to the guys that they're setting all these that are doing the math behind the, the harvest regulations. Hunting has a little impact little on population overall. If we can get the habitat out there and the conditions are right, these mallard ducks that are 18 percent down from last year are going to rebound in no time. Yeah. Um, even even in the face of uh, of our hunting and, and killing a few million of them a year. And so they will rebound. Hunting is sustainable. Our populations can be sustainable at these levels of hunting. That's why they're not getting all worked up about the decline that we're seeing right now because 
as long as next year is is the same or or better, you know, we should see some we should see a liberal season yet again in the the 25 season. You brought up a great point, you know, between the the the, the habitat and, and and but with the weather and then predation, man plays a small role really in taking yeah. that. And basically, we are data keepers, and it's good though that people like you though, because we do need to be educated, and and the people that need to be educated, the neat thing are actually not just us, but also those who have the power to help make a change. You know, it's those who are in place, whether it's politicians or, you know, people who do have that power, they're the ones that has to be educated to help because, you know, we're, we're kind of small in numbers. Well, Doug, I appreciate your time, man. That's again, I wanted to, I always love picking your brain and I, I hope that uh, one day that we get to share a blind. I've always got an open invite up here. I know you're busy. We got the place to stay. You got plenty of uh, the hunting to come up here, or even if you ever want to come up, where our our turkeys are coming back, and you know the DNR did put a pond in, and we've excavated some stuff. We actually made our property um, a lot better. We put more agriculture. You know, we live way back, and I live right on the lake here at Rathbun, and we live right on the waterfowl refuge. So you know, all that I see it, it goes on, but because we've opened, and normally our lane's about a mile long, so you had to go up a mile to get any agriculture fields, but what we've done here, open up there, so I'm seeing turkeys. I mean, I got 12 to 15 times every day, and because of the of the uh, drought, they're down there. I've, I've seen turkeys, they're lining down into the pot, and our pond's are, so with us drought, it's going to take another two, three years. It's mm -hmm. deep, but it's still got another two-thirds, but these turkeys are going all the way down, and I'm watching them just sitting in the water standing in the water and, and just sitting resting near that water you know it's just the deer that are coming in and stuff so you know it's affecting everything that we're looking for this water but yeah. anyway you're always got an open door welcome here and yeah, man, I, I appreciate it we're gonna make that happen someday all right brother well i appreciate yeah. it folks I tell you go and subscribe to this check out the wonders of wa uh, waterfowl yes sir wonders of waterfowl yeah and follow us at the osborne lab on our instagram there we that's where we're posting a lot of our our science stuff from absolutely our... is there anything of the five oaks that that they do you have anything on the i mean is that a website is that part of your lab the five yeah oaks? yeah yeah i mean i partner with them and and follow ryan Ashkren. uh follow the five oaks ag research and education center uh, you can find it's it online, but yeah, it's, we're, you know, it's, it's, we're doing our part uh, for conservation uh, on the education part and, and just your listeners can reach out to me on, you know, if they got any questions, I'm happy to chat with people. So. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Message me on Instagram right now, just, and I answer them. Yeah. Yep. I appreciate yep. that guys. Listen to that. He will, he knows his stuff and uh, appreciate and, and uh, like I said you get a chance to uh, click and like and subscribe and um, always remember hunt safe hunt smart and may the good Lord be your guide yeah man well I'll be out there rain shining all a part of the great design bring it on I can never get enough because that's what Legends are made of